So welcome to the Leaders Who Love What They Do podcast. I'm Anne Collins, your host, and I'm an executive and leadership coach. And today I have an amazing guest for you, a leader who combines a passion for bringing the most beautiful Swiss watches to market with his ability to lead and rejuvenate a global company with compassion, energy, and an entrepreneurial and creative spirit. So welcome to Julien Tornard, the CEO at Zenith Watches, where he has been at the helm since 2000. 2017. Since then, the brand has seen an incredible growth, bringing Zenith to the forefront of watchmaking. And just this last month, Zenith launched their new Defy Skyline watch, which has a stunning design that has attracted the attention of the media worldwide. So welcome, Julianne, to the show. You've been extremely busy recently, and thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you very much to you, Anne, for inviting me. I'm, I'm very pleased and honoured to be with you today. Oh, well, thank you. Well, we're going to dive straight in um, because I have some questions for you and, and quite a lot that I want to ask you. So let's get going. You're so passionate about your work, Julien. And what is it that you love about your job? It's clear I'm passionate. I, I always believe that there is only one way to do things well is when you really enjoy your time, when you really have passion and put passion into it. So there are Quite a few things that I love about my job. Of course, it's related to time. We talk about watches, and I think time is something that uh, is always difficult to capture, to fully understand. The notion of time is everywhere for everyone. And this is always something that I felt is almost a bit magic. So I like that. You know, I'm Swiss myself, so it's clear that watches uh, in Switzerland is like a religion almost. And uh, we <laughs> into watches since we're born. So I feel I'm a bit of a, an ambassador of my country to some extent. Uh, and of course, it's, it's, it's all about the people, I think. And we'll talk about people and people management later. But it's all about getting people on board and, and talking about this passion, sharing this passion with, uh, with people. That's what I really uh, love about, about my job here. Yeah. It's so evident also in everything that you do, which is great. It comes through in all your interactions. And what attracted you to the luxury brand market and in particular to the watch industry? You've mentioned a little bit there um, the magic around watches and time and, and that being part of the DNA in a sense of coming from Switzerland, maybe. Is there anything else around the, the luxury brand market which attracted you to that business in particular? So you, you tend to hear by many of my colleague CEOs, uh, nice stories about them being uh, given the watch from their grandfather and they fell in love. And I'm going to be very honest with you. It never happened to me. Quite of a coincidence. And someone one day called me and said, there is a job in that company when I was 25 and I joined. And, and of course, I had some knowledge about watches being Swiss myself, but it's really on the job that I started to build passion for this industry. In a few words, you know, we sell objects, watches that are actually not very useful in today's world. We all have cell phones and we can see the time anywhere, anyhow. When that was a very, very necessary tool in the 19th, 18th century, even 20th century. But what I like about these objects is that they are totally timeless. You know, we talk about mechanical high-end watches that were created sometimes in the 16th, in the, in the 17th, 18th century Handmade, it's, it's a very important symbol of my country, Switzerland. But today we talk about circular economy. We talk about things that are here forever. And there is no better example than a mechanical watch. Let's say in 400 years, you, me, and many things around you won't be there, unfortunately. A Swiss quality mechanical watch can be basically maintained by a watchmaker in 400 years by putting a little bit of oils and regulate. So we create objects that are measuring time, but that are here for the eternity. And I really enjoy that concept. 
Yes, that's amazing. And uh, and also it's you're giving a legacy, aren't you? When you give somebody a, a watch, it's, as you say, it's something forever and it's a legacy. of It's a reminder of a, a very special gift that will go on and on. Absolutely. And, and Zenit, as, as a watch manufacturer, guarantees that every single watch has a Zenit movement and that we can restore any watch since day one in 1865, which again says that our watches, they're going to have multiple lives. They're going to have multiple owners and they're going to keep on going a long time after we're not on this planet anymore. So I think it's it's a great legacy. It's a great gift and you give something so special. Yes. And uh, just going back to your very international career, because you've lived in Asia, you've lived in the US, obviously you've been in, in Europe, for a long time. What has this global experience given you as a leader in particular? First of all, I, I started to um, enjoy this international exposure when I was uh, much younger and I was doing some sport and I was lucky to live in Russia and to travel in different places in the world. And it showed me that uh, Switzerland is a nice place to live, but the world is big and there is so much to be learned outside. Of course, in Switzerland, you are immediately exposed to different languages, to a small country, but very multicultural. But when I was 32 years old, I think I moved to the US. That was my big first experience abroad, barely married and basically starting a new life. The, that was probably a difficult and a, a huge learning curve for me to suddenly live in a different country, work with different people. And I think uh, it's probably the best way that you can have as a leader to open your mind to different culture, different approaches, different opinions, different perspectives. You have to adapt your management style. A few years after I went to Hong Kong, and I was almost every week in China, in mainland China. So you can imagine the difference for a European to face American people and then Asian people, totally different styles. So that's, for me, definitely a, a must-have. And I think uh, I encourage young leaders all the time to go abroad and to expose themselves to get out of their comfort zone because it's quite easy in a way to manage people in our own um, cultural path. But when you get outside, it's a totally different way. You have to reset and, and learn and lead. So it also helps you to build uh, skills that are used in your leadership. And now Zenith is a global company. So how does that help you right now in your role, would you say, having that adaptability and able to open your mind, as you say, to other cultures? It's helping me every day, every day, because first of all, as you said, we work with people from many different countries. The brand is distributed in, in more than 70 countries. So we are, we are very much uh, exposed to different cultures. And it also helps me now because my headquarters is in the deep, I would say, deep Switzerland, in Le Loc, in the Swiss mountains of Neuchâtel. So after living abroad like that, coming back to uh, the very, uh, the origins of Swiss watchmaking helps me not only to communicate with people from the markets, but also to help people from Switzerland that did not have the opportunity to live abroad to understand to understand what a Japanese client is going to expect, what a Chinese retailer is going to ask you as, as a product, et cetera, et cetera. You know, it, it helps me to make the link between the two worlds, let's say the multiple worlds. And, and that's, that's a great advantage. It gets you to save a lot of time and most of the time to avoid what I would call cultural mistakes that I already did. I did so many mistakes when I went there that now I, I know how to avoid them. Yes. And so in a, in a sense, you become that bridge almost, don't you? Yeah, for sure. I think I'm playing this role. And, and that was one of my first uh, words I addressed to my team in Switzerland when I came back because I was asked, okay, you lived in New York, then Hong Kong, and now you're in Le Loc. How do you manage that? Being myself from Geneva, you know, Geneva is considered as a big city for from people living in the Swiss mountains. So I really had to show that 
Uh, I'm Swiss. I know the roots. I know how to talk to you and to work with you. But I also have this uh, international background. And going back to this this transformation, in a sense, that you've brought to Zenith, and I, I don't know whether you would attribute that to having this uh, global leadership experience, but certainly in the last few years under your leadership at CEO, Zenith has grown hugely. And so what has been your approach to leadership? What have been the challenges and, and what are you most proud of in that amazing growth that you've seen just in four or five years? I think the first thing I definitely did when I came back, because again, going to a different country you are a beginner by definition. You have to learn and listen. So it forces you to do that. One mistake people can do sometimes is when they go back to their home country, they think, okay, I know. I know the language. I know the people. I'm going to be immediately the, the leader that I want to be. And I think that's a mistake because by having lived abroad, you change also and you have to adapt again. So when I came back to Switzerland, first of all, I started to, uh, to listen and to talk to as many people as I could to understand what were the problems Zenit was facing? What, how can I help to fix those problems, bring the, the brand back on track? And that was probably the most important thing when I came back on board. It's not because I have a long experience. It's not because I live abroad that I know already what to do. So I, I gave myself a bit of time and I took the time to really uh, understand the, the challenges. And I told them from the beginning, I don't know yet. I'm going to learn now with you. We're going to figure out what to do. And then, of course, my job, is to come back to you with vision, with an objective and share it with you and make sure you understand it. And then we can move on. So that was the very, very first approach. And then, of course, we did not have only easy times, easy years, uh, without even referring to the last COVID crisis, but even before that. And my job was to keep on going and show them that I was confident that I knew where we were going and that we had to go through this tough time sometimes to get to see the light. And that's exactly uh, where we are today. We're starting to enjoy huge improvement of our situation and, and huge performance in 2021 already. So that was probably um, uh, the approach I had at the beginning. You know, when you are from Geneva and you go to this part of the world and even more because I lived abroad in big cities, they see you as not so much as a Swiss uh, compatriot, you know, but... Uh, <laughs> A strange guy. Uh, Geneva is often perceived maybe as Paris in France, you know, when you go to other cities, Parisians are Parisians and that's it. And Geneva is a little bit the same, probably for good reason. So first I had to show them that I was one of theirs and we were going to do the job together. I think that's that's so interesting, the way that, in a sense, you treated it as a new place, as you say, maybe use the same sort of techniques that you used when you went to other countries as well, that kind of coming in, as, as you said, as a learner, someone who's learning and asking the questions and listening, maybe for, a, for quite a long time as well, before seeing your vision there. Yeah. And you know, as a European, uh, an easy mistake I noticed, I saw people doing this mistake is... When you go to Asia, obviously, people don't look like you. They don't speak the different language. You cannot even read what's written in the streets. So you are every day you are reminded that you are here to learn and that you have to make the effort. When you go to the U.S., many people do the mistake because they watch American movies, TV shows. They speak English. They can read and they can look like American. So they think I'm part of it. Wrong. America, there is a big culture, there are many subcultures, and you also have to do this learning thing. So by these two experiences, I could really make the difference. And even coming back again to my own country, I went through the same process. And that's very, very um, 
key to my experience here. Yeah. And that's it. And that awareness that you have to make those adjustments, maybe even more when you come back to your own country in a sense. Absolutely. And uh, I know that Zenith is a company that is very keen to develop your leaders in-house. And what characteristics do you look for in a leader? You've mentioned a few things about um, listening and having a vision. What other characteristics do you look for in in a leader? I think you have to show self-confidence. You have to reassure the people because you are here for that. You are here to to basically show the way and turn the brand into a successful one because if the brand is successful every single employee all the staff they're going to be successful as well so yes you have to show empathy you have to show listening humility is very important because in such position people tend to think that you could be arrogant you could be too confident and that's also a mistake but the balance between the empathy, listening, humility, and the self-confidence, the toughness sometimes that you have to eat is a fine limit. And this is probably the most difficult part is to find the right balance between those two uh, aspects. Because you have to be a leader. You have to show that you are powerful, that you're going to bring the brand to the right place, but not only you, with the whole team. That's definitely a quality that I'm looking uh, all the time for a leader. You know, so visionary share the vision, share where you're going, and then trust and delegate. I like to let people develop themselves. And recently, one of my uh, direct boards told me that uh, what he enjoyed the most with me is that I created space for him to be creative, entrepreneurial, and bring new ideas. And even when he made mistakes, I was not judging the mistakes. I was trying to understand why and, and learn from them. So he said, basically, I became much better than I ever was in my career because you created this bubble within which I could be a, a leader myself. And that was for me one of the best compliments I've received because that's what I wanted to do, uh, which doesn't mean you should not keep an eye on what's going on, be aware, and, and sometimes check and controls. That's part of the job. But leave the space for people to show their best. Because my conviction is that you have to be surrounded by people that are the best in their own field and, and sometimes better than you and accepted. That's fine. There, there should be experts in their own field. You might not be an expert in that particular field. And that's an effort that you have to do in a way, which is part for me of the, of the humility aspect. I think it's really interesting the way that uh, that you've talked there about what you're looking for in a leader, because also you've talked there about how you you create that space so that you can help leaders develop those characteristics. And so it's like a dance, isn't it, when you've got a whole a group of leaders who are developing all together, but it actually it's you as CEO that's creating that space for people to, as you say, experiment, maybe make mistakes, but then learn and move forward. Yes, I always compare the, the leader as a sport coach. And I think the comparison is, is quite obvious. You have to try to get the best of the people. And by that, you have to emphasize on the qualities, on the strength, and maybe help on the weaknesses, you know? And remember, for some reason, some coaches I had or some teachers at school or at university, they made me feel strong and, and efficient and powerful and successful. And some others make you feel we and I'm going to fail and I'm going to be wrong, you know, and that's that's so important for me. And I always keep these. I remember very well who did what. And I try to learn by that and try to get the best um, out of the people. And uh, and for me, that's the key. You know, you should you should really help them to go to the next level all the time. And if you do it in a good way, basically, they're going to do 200 percent of what they believe they could. 
Absolutely. And uh, I mean, it's one of the things that I absolutely, I love working with all of you at Zenith is, is that dynamic as well, that dynamic of, uh, of constantly moving forward, of searching for excellence, but also within the sort of this compassionate bubble where people can develop and move forward. And there's also a huge energy that I think is, is wonderful and creativity. And how do you nurture that side of things as a CEO? Because I think at Zenith, it's something that's, that really stands out, I think, is this creativity and and this energetic dynamism that you see in every area of the business. And how do you create that and nurture it? Yes. And, you know, uh, it's, it's important to say that because, you know, our team very well. You have been helping us to even improve our way of working together as a team because you can have great individuals. But then to get them to function at its best as a team is a different story. And I have to say that uh, we feel now really uh, as a group of individuals, but also people that can work as a team perfectly. And that's for me, a very important thing. That's why we try to get our kids to learn individual sports as well as team sports for me, because you need uh, both uh, uh, skills. You know, creativity, innovation is so key to move forward. And we are in an industry that tend to be sometimes turned a bit to the past. And this is something I really wanted to change at Zenith because Zenith used to say, okay, we have 156 years of history. So we repeat what we have been doing. So we don't really hurt the DNA of the brand. We keep on staying in the same line, which is actually wrong because uh, people in the past were so creative. The minimum we should do to move forward is to continue on this creativity. Of course, staying who we are by respecting the DNA, respecting what the brand is all about, but continue to move on. And this was a big stretch when I came on board and a big change I, I asked my people to do. And they all loved it because, again, I created this bubble that I mentioned. I created the space in the environment for them to be creative. That was super important. And then when you leave space, you also have as a leader to accept that there will be mistakes. Uh, I always say only people who don't do anything, who don't take initiatives, of course, they're not going to do mistakes. So you have to accept that maybe out of 10 calls, 10 decisions, maybe seven or eight, uh, seven, let's say, are good ones. Two are excellent ones. And one or two are also uh, mistakes. Fine. But to get the two very good ones, you have to accept the mistake. And that's a new approach that I also uh, get into my teams, as well as the fact that we should never limit ourselves. At Zenit, we use also to think that okay, we are Zenith, so we can do this, we can do that, but we're never going to be there. We're never going to do that. And I told them, no, that's wrong. People say the sky is the limit. There is a proverb uh, from the Tibet people that I like a lot that says, when, when you reach the summit, continue climbing. So meaningful. I use it all the time with my kids as well. You know, Think big, don't think small. It's not because we are Zenith that tomorrow we cannot compete the biggest brands in the world. And don't limit ourselves, because if you do that, you're never going to get further. And that, these two things, I, I would say, leave the space for creativity and don't uh, limit the mindset, you know, have a growth mindset to, to continue move forward are two elements that I would uh, definitely recommend to any leader in a new company, especially. Yeah. It really links in with, with the Zenith uh, little tagline as well, you know, reach for the star. I love that. Let's not forget, again, the founder in, in 1865 was 22 years old. He had an incredible vision and great ambition for the brand, you know, and uh, maybe because he was so young also, you know, he was not scared yeah. of anything. And that's uh, sometimes schools uh, learn, teach you how to, uh, uh, to, to be a bit conservative. And I think uh, <laughs> quite good to be an entrepreneur very young because you have no limits. 
Yes, absolutely. Yes, I think uh, there's a lot. To, there's a lot to be said for entrepreneurial spirit, isn't there? For sure, for sure, for sure. And you know, we are all taught that uh, if you succeed, it's great. If you fail, it's bad. And I think that's something I'm personally trying to change it on myself first, and on 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 my kids as well, and 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 my staff as well. It's okay to do wrong. It it means you try to do something, and you're going to learn out of it, and then you will get even stronger. But we we were probably born in a culture where if you fail, you're bad. And and I think that's something, if you do that, you definitely kill creativity and innovation. Yes. Yes. Well, then then you can't move forward, can you, if you're, if you're so worried about making a mistake? No way. No way. And uh, again, uh, I think it's, it's a question of mindset. And if you try to change this, then people feel more relaxed about the failure. You know, it's not yeah. it's yes. a process. It's not the end of the world. Yes. And, and really, I think lots of people would argue that you have to have those failures in order to, to move forward. If without those, nothing moves. Absolutely. And maybe that links in a, a little bit to my last question. I know that it's a major transition for people when they step into a CEO role, and certainly failure will be a large part of that. And what would be your top tip for other new CEOs as they navigate their first few months or years in a, in a role, would you say, from your experience of, of being a CEO and perhaps also seeing other CEOs in action? You know, there would be quite a few, but if I have to choose one, again, it would be humility. Because uh, and humility embraces different things. It means that you will, of course, listen to people. You will get people's opinion. It's not a sign of weakness. Some people, they think if they arrive and they are super tough and they immediately tell people where we go, how we go, how we do it, it's going to give them more credibility. I, I feel it's the opposite. I feel when you come with humility, when you listen to people, when you talk the same way to the cleaning lady than to your peers, you know, it's actually giving you much more credibility, much more strength, and much more, at the end, much more leadership. So I think it's, a, it's super important to treat people the right way, to uh, listen again, and to be able to gain from this uh, experience. Because if people feel comfortable with you, they will share much more, much more about the small things here and there, but also very important information that you need to have to go to the objective. And for me, that would be definitely the main objective. Don't think because you have your business card and it's written president and CEO that you know. This would be the worst mistake. I think that's that's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Julien. You've given us so much insight today and been very, very generous as well with all your thoughts. Thank you so much. Now, I'm sure that people will want to contact you. Is there a good way to do that? Sure, Anne. Thank you so much for you because it was very um, nice exchange, nice discussion on those topics. And for me, again, it's another learning, you know, because you, you you make a stop for a few minutes and you think about your 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 way of doing things. And, and, and so thank you very much. And of course, I'm trying to be very accessible. Uh, so the best way for me would be LinkedIn. I'm trying to answer to uh, many messages. If I don't, please send me another one and I will do it for sure. Great. Well, we'll put your LinkedIn profile address in the show notes. If you go to the show notes, you will find his profile there and you can send him a message. Well, thank you so much, Julia. It's been really a pleasure to have you on the podcast and thank you for taking time out of your very busy day for joining us for the show. So to the listeners, thank you so much for joining us too. And do join us again another time to meet another leader who loves what they do. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
before you go, if you're interested in finding out more about how coaching could help you with your career and your leadership, then do remember that we have a series of free webinars that happen pretty much once a month. The next one coming up is on the 28th of February. It's all about ditching your to-do list and working on who you need to actually be. So do take a look on our website. That's bluebottlecoaching.com forward slash events or send us a message and we'll send you all the details. Looking forward to seeing you.